0: We're going to look into the Word of God together today, and we're going to um, move on in our, in our look at the book of Genesis. We've been, if you're visiting, we've been going through the book of Genesis together and kind of looking at person by person or theme by theme, and uh, today we find ourselves ending chapter 2 and, and coming into chapter 3, and we're going to look at chapter 3 kind of in a unique way. We're going to look at the whole thing today. Matter of fact, I'm going to read in a few minutes the entire chapter 3 of Genesis, and some of you are going, oh my goodness, it's going to take forever. No, you're going to see it's just a cool story. It's a story we're going to read, and uh, we'll look at it some more in some more detail in the coming weeks. But for today, I just want to look at the big picture that Chapter Three paints because I want you to see something. I want you to see something that I hope is life-changing for some of you. It's 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 eye-opening for all of us, um, or it's at least confirming and just comforting to all of us if we if we understand this already. And what I want us to see is from Chapter Three. I want us to see sin, and how how sin has affected the world. But then I want us to see the idea of restoration. Because you know what? Sometimes at church, world well, we're guilty of just talking about sin, talking about how bad we are. And we walk around like, you know, oh, what a wretched worm that I am. And you know what? Without Jesus, we are. But the good thing about the about the good news, the good news is that there's restoration, that we're all guilty, but God doesn't want us to be a uh, wallow in that. He wants to change us um, by his presence. And chapter 3 is going to give us the, the very seedbed of that concept of sin and restoration from sin. And what I want you to pay attention to in this as we go through the sermon today is we're going to look at a process. We're going to see that God has this process in place from the very inception of creation that God's had this process that he just is going to give us a little glimpse into it in chapter 3, but this idea that sin is real, sin is dangerous, sin is damning, but that he, he's from the very beginning when sin is introduced, he says, you know what, I've got a plan and a process for getting people um, recovered from what sin has done in their lives. And so we're going to read all of chapter 3 today, and I'm going to read from the translation I always read. And this is kind of an interesting thing in today's culture. Um, In church forever, the pastor could always say, grab your Bibles and turn with me, and everybody could turn in their Bibles and follow along. Well, the problem is today, and it's a problem, it's a good problem, is that we have such incredible opportunity to have the Word of God that we all have different translations a lot of times. And if you're new to the faith, you might think they're different Bibles. They're not different Bibles. They are the same Bible... Um, the same original languages, Greek and Hebrew, that have been translated by by groups of people, scholars, to try to do their best to explain what that means. And so, the one I always read from in church, you'll notice, I, I use every week, is the New American Standard Bible. And the reason I'm pointing it out today is, if you're especially new to the faith, and you say, "I want to follow along with you," which is a great thing. Pick up. A New American Standard Bible. Matter of fact, I believe the Pew Bibles we bought, those are New American Standard, correct? you look at that? one. The Pew Bibles, the black ones, which are only in these sections because those don't have pockets to put them in, um, are New American Standard so you can follow along. And here's my challenge to you. If you don't have a New American Standard, um, get one and bring that one to church. Make it your church Bible so you can follow along with what we're saying. Um, Read whatever you want at home, but bring that one. And if you don't have one, grab a Pew Bible and take it home. It's yours. Write your name in it and keep it. Okay? and we'll just put new ones in there. So um looking at chapter 3 today and you know what? Give a f to bifocals, you know. I'm when you got I got these things so I could read in church and I, you know, I look I feel like I'm swimming. Everything's bent. And so uh um I got to take them off to read. That's what they're supposed to fix. So anyways, let's go to chapter 3 of Genesis. And actually we're going to start in the very last verse of chapter 2 because it it goes to explaining what's going on in this this story. So chapter 2, verse 25 says this. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3, And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said to you? This is the serpent talking to her. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent then said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit, ate, and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from his presence, from the presence of the Lord. God, among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And friends, if that's not circled in red in your Bible, it needs to be, because we're going to explain what that means in a minute. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because it is where you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's stop right there. What, what, a, what an amazing story. This is the story, the first introduction of, of sin into the world of humanity. We have Adam and Eve living together in this perfect place called Eden, walking around completely unencumbered by sin. And that's why we started in verse 25 of chapter 2, saying, because the Bible depicts it this way, they were naked and unashamed, saying that there's just nothing, there's no self-consciousness, there's no arrogance, there's no really self you know, focus in them. They don't even think of life in the way we think of it, completely living in sinless perfection in the garden. And God is walking with them and talking with them. And I like the way he says it in the cool of the day. You know, it's, uh, it's just this wonderful, beautiful place. And in the midst of that perfection, we find the serpent coming to Eve, and the serpent does trick her, but not completely. She understands clearly the choices she has. He challenges her to eat of the fruit of the one tree that God has said, do not eat from that one tree, and she makes a choice in herself to go ahead and eat from that tree, from the, for, the forbidden fruit, from the forbidden tree. And that, my friends, is the the first example of sin. Because what sin is, is sin is simply saying, I know what God says is right, and I choose to do what I want to do. It's, it's missing the mark. It's choosing to do it my way instead of God's way. And that's what sin really is. You want to understand sin? Sin is simply saying, I know what God's standard is. I'm going to choose to do it. My own way. And that's what Eve did, and that's what Adam did following her. And when they do that, we see the result they destroy this perfect, their opportunity to live in this perfect state of perfection that God had created just for them. And we're going to find in a minute, it also alters something within them, and it alters the image of God in man that we talked about a few weeks ago. It alters that image within themselves. And so everything changes. God comes to the man, he comes to the beast, he comes to the woman, and he curses them, and he judges them. And to the de- de- devil, he said, you're going to crawl on your belly. To the woman, he said, you're going to have increased pain in childbirth. So whenever you have a baby, blame Eve, blame Eve, when it hurts. And to the man, he says, um, you will live an unproductive life. Remember, they lived in perfect production and health in the garden where everything was easy they didn't have to plant god did the planting all they had to do was harvest and receive but now god said you're going to toil in this unproductive ground it's going to grow thorns and thistles he must look at the gardens that we try to grow suzanne we gave up gardening because that's all we can grow well is thorns and thistles and uh and seriously as god is my witness it happens we both have black thumbs when it comes to growing things and um it's got kind of, to because of adam and uh it's his fault Not our failure to weed. Um, But then uh, God takes them and he kicks them out of the garden. And uh, they got to go basically eke out an existence for themselves. But in the midst of that whole story, God does something else. He initiates a plan of restoration. He says, you guys have blown it. I'm going to boot you out. But he initiates a plan of of restoration. And he talks about the seed of Eve. And we're going to get to that in a little while, what that means, that God has this plan. And what I want us to do today with this story, we start with this story, and I want us to see what it teaches about our situation. Um, in this fallen world today, because we find ourselves in the world that Adam and Eve created when they chose to sin. to it us about the fallen world, and then what I want us to do is to look at this process of restoration that God initiated in that very first, you know, uh, event of sin in chapter 3, this process of restoration that God establishes and then ultimately brings to fulfillment um, in mankind, so that mankind, get this, mankind can, through coming to Christ, Re establish, regain that Adam like existence, that Eve like, I should say, that Eden like existence that God had created him to live in. He created him to live in this great place, and that we're going to see God as a process in place to take fallen man and restore us to a place, spiritually first, then physically in the end, where we get to re-est- re, um, live in that state of perfection that God had initially created for man. That's the process we're going to look at from going well to destruction to restoration, partially to total restoration in the end. That's the process that I want us to think about today. And to do that, we're going to look at the, the condition um, of the states that we find in this story and then out throughout the rest of the scriptures. And the first state that we find in this story is before sin. Is We're going to call it the original state. And it's the first step of this process that we're going to look at. Um, it's a state that Adam and Eve find themselves in the garden before sin. When in Eden, we talked about a few weeks ago that mankind had been created in the image of God. And we talked about how that, what that meant a few weeks ago. And if you, if you wanted to do some more thinking about that, go on the website, download the podcast about what it meant for man to be created in the image of God and how that was revealed in man as they lived in the garden. And we looked at depth at, uh, a couple of weeks ago on how, um, what that meant was that man and women, um, humanity knew right from wrong. They had the ability to relate with God. They had creative genius and they had the ability to give and receive love. And that was just some of the marks of the, image of God stamped in man that makes us completely different than all the rest of creation, completely different than your dog, no matter how smart you think your dog is. And you all know Jake is our smart dog, and but he still is different than Suzanne and I. Now, my uh, in-laws are here, and they've concluded that Jake is one of the greatest dogs on the planet. He might be great, right? But he does not have the image of God stamped on his life. We're different than, than the animals. And we're better because the image of God was stamped on us. That was the original state. And in that original state, there's at least three things that we want to think about that, um, that exhi- what were exhibited in mankind or in, in man in, in the relationship to the creation in that original state. The first thing that existed in that original state that we want to think about today is that in that original state, Adam and Eve had unhindered relationship with God that when they were in that original state in the garden, they had an unhindered relationship with God. I like the way it says it. They walked with God in the cool of the day. You know, they're just hanging with, with God, the creator. I don't know what that was like. We can't even imagine it. But somehow God lived in a relationship with Adam and Eve that they would just walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. And so they had this unhindered relationship with God. No barriers. Matter of fact, that's why they keep stressing this, this clothing deal, that they were naked and unashamed, that they weren't hiding behind anything, that there was just open, unhindered relationship between God and man. Another thing that existed in that original state, the second thing, is that in the original state, Adam and Eve had eternal life, that they had eternal life that was both physical and spiritual. Friends, understand something. Mankind was created to be eternal. Did you know that you originally were created to be an eternal being? Because God said this to Adam and Eve about the tree that they were forbidden to eat. He said, you know what? Um, if you don't eat it, basically, you will live forever. But if you sin, what will happen? You will you will die. He said, you're created to be eternal. But if you choose to sin, then you will die. As a matter of fact, one of the neat things, a study you can do sometime in a little more depth is to look at this, that in any the garden there was another tree there. They had tr- The tree they ate from the knowledge of good and evil. Remember the other tree? The tree of life. That that tree was in the garden. You're going to find something neat because it shows up again at the end. That that tree was in the garden and that they had the tree of life in the garden. So they were created to be eternal where they would eat from the tree of life and the tree of life would, they would live eternally as they ate from the tree of life. So they lived in eternal life, physical and spiritual, eternal life, in the original state, and the third thing that that marked that original state that we want to think about today is that they lived in a state of sinlessness. they lived in this state of sinless innocence, and that's how come they were unashamed. they hid nothing. They was in this open, whole, pure relationship between God and man, because in the original state there was absolutely no sin. But we read the story. It didn't last that long in that condition. We don't know how long, but we know that eventually as they're living in that perfect state of perfection, of sinlessness, of open communication with God, you know, the image of God is stamped on them and they're expressing that um, in their relationships and between them and, man, man, them and God and them and each other, they're living in a state, they for some crazy reason decide, let's listen to the serpent. And they listen to the serpent and they choose to sin and that original state, is altered and basically what sin did and this is what sin does in our world what sin does is it destroys or it hurts the things that existed in the original state and so let's think of that original state and think how it affected the things that we just talked about the first thing that sin did in this new altered condition where now sin is introduced is sin ruined relationships that sin, they had a perfect unhindered relationship with God, but now sin is entered into the world and sin ruined relationships. Man's relationship with God was was changed. It was forever altered. Um, now it says in chapter three, verse 10, look what it says. It says, and he said, this is Adam, when God's calling to him, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. He'd never been afraid before in his life. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Here's this guy who had this perfect, unhindered relationship with God, enters sin into the world, and now his relationship with God is altered, and he is ashamed, and he is hiding from God. But beyond that, I think there's even something more tragic about the altered relationship between God and man. Because Adam didn't only hide from God, but Adam does something that is mind-boggling to me, and it should be to you. Adam not only hides from God, but when God confronts him... He blames God for the condition he finds himself in. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. He said, And the man said to God, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave from me from the tree, and I ate it. Now look how he says that. He says, The woman, he blames his wife, that you gave to me. He blames God and says, God, I'd be fine, but you gave this gal to me, and she caused me to sin. He turns the table and he says, God, it's your fault. I sinned because you messed up, God. You gave me this woman. That's what he's saying in this text. He says, God, it is your fault. Think of the audacity of sin. The audacity of the guy who had walked with God, he knew God as creator in a way that none of us have ever experienced. He knew the, magnif- the, the magnificence of God, the, the greatness of God, and he looks God square in the eye with fig leaves covering him, having hidden in the woods, and he says, you gave me a bad girl. And that's why it happened. Think of that, the audacity of sin. And that's what happens with us so often when we come to sin. We become bold in blaming. I never cease to amaze me. When people are involved in sin um, or they have problems in their life, they always, they come to me and they blame God. I just can never figure it out. We blame God when God's given it all to us and we look God square in the eyes and we blame him because of things in our lives. Friends, that's not original with you and me. That's original with Adam. So this man's relationship with God is ruined. It's altered forever. But not just his relationship with God, his relationship with other people is forever altered because of sin in the world. Man's relationship with man is, is, is changed. We just saw that in chapter 3, verse 12. Adam, when he's challenged by God, instead of owning up to it, what's he do? He says, God, you gave me this woman. And he puts the finger straight on Eve and says, she's the one who did it. He blames her. Now, think about that. Think about what, that relationship between Adam and Eve. Remember just a little while earlier when God and Adam were naming all the animals? We had looked at that a few weeks ago. And it says, and there was no suitable help made for Adam. So God causes Adam to go to sleep. He takes a rib from his side. He creates woman. And, and, and Adam leaps for joy and says, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he's celebrating the glory of this woman. Well, just a few, maybe, I don't know, days, years, we don't know how much later, He looks at God and he says, you know what? The problem is her. And he blames her. And their relationship is forever altered. Because sin ruins relationship. The unhindered, beautiful relationship that existed between God and man and man and man was ruined because of sin. That's the first effect of sin that we see um, on that original state. The second one is this. And it goes in line with the things we identified that were great in the original one. The second one is this. Sin destroyed life sin destroyed life chapter 3 verse 3 god says but from the tree the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden god said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die and then chapter 3 verse 19 from the sweat of your face this is god's judgment from the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken and you are dust and to the dust you shall return. Man was created to be eternal, but because of the introduction of sin into the world, man chose to sin, now man dies. God said it. He said, Adam, Eve, if you sin, you will die. And we have the historical record. Guess what? Adam and Eve died. Both physical and spiritual death result from sin. Physically, Adam and every person ever born on the planet ever since has died. You say, well, what about Moses was taken away? He still died. God changed him in the process. That came an end to the physical life. But even beyond that, as horrible as that is, friends, I think worse yet, every person ever created by God after that point has died a spiritual death. We're spiritually dead when we're born, if that makes sense. When we are alive physically, we are still dead spiritually. The spirit of God and man died on that day when sin was entered into the world. Now listen to what a guy named John Phillips, who's just a a great commentator, has to say about this situation. He says, there must have been joy among the demons when the news came that the father of lies had triumphed so spectacularly over creatures made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. First, we note their plight. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. What a wretched discovery. Because uh, before the fall, Adam and Eve were probably clothed with light. Because God covers himself with light as a garment, it says in Psalm 104. And because the Lord Jesus in his transfiguration was similarly arrayed. The moment they sinned, hear this, Adam and Eve saw the light of God go out. The death of the spirit within them caused the light to be extinguished. And suddenly the physical side of their being was thrust into prominence that it had never been before. They knew they were naked. That was the knowledge for which they had sold their place in paradise, their daily fellowship with God, and their prospects of life forevermore. Now, you know what? I don't know, we can't say for sure, if they were really clothed in light. That's Philip's idea of how come something, when they died spiritually, how come suddenly the physical rose to prominence. I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but this we do know. The light of the Spirit went out in man in that day. Because there was not only physical death, there was spiritual death because of the introduction of sin into God's creation. So sin's having this incredibly negative effect. All because they chose to reject God's ways, sin is destroying all these beautiful things that existed in the original state. We want to look at one more thing that sin destroyed from that original state, and it's this. Sin caused exile from the garden. Sin caused exile. God created this garden. Think of it. God had made the whole world, but then he made the garden special. He made it special for man to inhabit. It was an easy place. It was a place of lushness and blessing. God had created for them and put him in it and, and planted it just for him. And it was just wonderful place. And when they sinned, it says God kicked them out of the perfect place um, that had been established just for them. And now it says that they have to eke out an existence in an unproductive world. And you know what you may be thinking in your mind? Say, hey, hey God, come on, God. You know, idle, the, idle back here a little bit. You're being a little too harsh. You know, they've already had all these penalties. Why are you also going to be so mean and kick them out of the garden? Friends, I want to tell you something. God kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden wasn't mean. It was merciful. And he explains why it was merciful. God drove them from the garden and put, it says, what, a flaming a cherub with a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden so they would not have access to the garden. But why does it say he did not want them to have access to the garden? So they would not have access to what? The tree of life. God was keeping them in this fallen state from having access in their lost condition to the tree of life. Because God knew that he did not want them to live eternally in that situation. Because guess what? We're going to see in a few minutes that God has a much better plan. That God, from that very, from before that day, God had a different plan. He says, "You know what? Man's blown it, and they've destroyed this eternal, this this original condition because of sin. But I have a plan for restoration." Friends, I hope you can see something this morning. I hope I can grasp something this morning, and it's this: Can we understand today that sin destroyed the perfection that God created for man? Can we understand in our own lives that sin isn't a game? That it's not some minor thing. It's just not a choice. Well, I just don't really care. I think it should go this way. Friends, God's given us some guidance in his word. And he tells us how to live and how not to live. And it's not a game when we choose to reject that and go our own way. Because we see here in one example of one family the incredible consequences of sin. Friends, sin is the problem. Sin is the root of all problems. Understand that this sin destroyed the condition um, that Adam and Eve lived in. And this sin condition is the, is the condition now that every single person born into this world finds himself in from the day that they breathe their first breath. When little Luke, who we celebrated the healing of God in his life, you know what? He's entered the world in a, a sin fallen world and in need of a savior himself. You say, how beautiful, how precious, how perfect. He might be beautiful and precious and perfect in your eyes, but guess what? All of us enter the world in a fallen condition. That's why we tell our children about Jesus, so that when they finally come to an age where they can understand, they have the choice to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. It's why ministry to our kids is so important. It's why we put it as a priority at Portview Church, because we want our kids to come to that place where they say, it's not the God of my father, but it's my God. Because every person enters this world, this, this broken down place of death and broken relationships and eking out an existence. That's the world that every one of us was born into. Can you relate to that? Just death and destruction and eking out an existence. And some of you say you have no idea, Pastor, what it's like. I have a little idea. Now, if we stopped right here, we'd say, This stinks. This is rotten. Adam and Eve, some 6,000 years ago, blow it. And because of that, I'm born into a sin-fallen world, and I'm destined for destruction. Because nothing I can do about it. I didn't cause it. We say, this really stinks. You want to know something, friends? I'm so glad that God didn't stop it there. I'm so glad that God didn't stop it there, because the next step in the process is the step that we want to call Restoration. It's a step that that God gives an insight into in this chapter 3 of Genesis, God's plan for restoration. Friends, God wants to restore in your life and in my life and in this world what sin has destroyed. And the starting place for this restoration is dealing with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem, we said, is what? It's sin. The root of the problem is sin, and God starts with rest- restoring that um, in chapter three, verse 15, which I told you, right, circle it in red in your Bible. What happens here before we read it is, is that God foreshadows or he gives us a glimpse into how he is going to deal with the sin problem of mankind. And this is what it says in chapter 15 or verse 15. it says this to the, to the, to the, to the, the devil. He says, and I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head. And some of you, the NIV says, crush his head. And I think that's a better translation here. He'll bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. He says, the seed of Eve, the seed of Eve, the descendant of Eve will bruise or crush the serpent's head. And the seed of Eve will have his heel bruised By the serpent. Friends, God looked down the road of human history and said that one of Eve's descendants, her seed, would destroy Satan, crush his head, and would bruise his heel. And we understand from the New Testament that bruising his heel talked about his payment for the sins of mankind. That he um, looked down the road on that day when sin entered the world, he looked down the road of human history And God saw Jesus and he said, there's a day coming when I'm going to deal with this whole problem. God's plan to restore what sin destroyed was to have his own son, Jesus pay the penalty for the sins of man. And that's that reference. He's making that in the future, he would have a bruised heel that he would be crucified of quite a bruising beaten and crucified, but raised from the dead. His heel would be bruised when he hung on the cross and then Jesus, in raising to victory, and ultimately in, the, in the eternity, he would destroy the one who tempted man to sin in the first place. He would crush the head of Satan. You know what I love about that story? That Satan thought he won. That Satan said, look, at God made this beautiful place, and God's man's in it, and they're created in the image of God, and he's jealous as can be because he wanted to be with where God was. And he said, look, it, I destroyed what God created. And from the very first sin, God says, you know what? I got a plan. I got a plan down the road. My, the seed of this woman right here, she's, de- she's defeated. She's destroyed. She blew it. But her descendant is going to one day rise up and he's going to bruise. He's going to bruise his heel. It's going to maybe hurt, but he's going to bruise his heel. But in the process, he's going to crush your head. He's going to destroy Satan. He looked down the world's road. And he said, the one who started the whole problem in the first place, he's going to get it in the end. Understand something, friends. God's always in control. He knows what's going on. And He, from that very first inception of sin, he said, I've got a plan. From the very beginning, we see that God had this plan to deal with sin and to restore what sin had destroyed. Friends, salvation, we throw the word around like it's nothing. Salvation isn't joining a church. Salvation isn't saying, I really like the way Portview does stuff. Salvation isn't saying, I want to join a church. It's beginning the life of transformation that God has to do in the life of man by his spirit. Salvation brings restoration. And that's what we want to think about in this next step of the process. We start in the original state of perfection. Sin destroys it. But then God says, I've got a plan to restore it. And let's think of what salvation restores today. The first thing we know is that salvation restores life. Friends, you want to know one definition of eternal life, of, of salvation? You know what salvation is? Salvation is eternal spiritual life. Eternal life begins the moment a person comes to Jesus for salvation. In chapter um, uh, 5 of 1 John, it says this. It says, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The day you come to his Son, it says, you have eternal life. Friend, that spiritual reality that existed in man in the garden, that spark of the spirit of God that was within man, that was extinguished because of sin, that was snuffed out because of sin, is reignited at salvation. When you come to salvation, you're not just making a decision. You're responding to God in a supernatural way because he's pulling you to himself. And you're saying, God, forgive me of my sins that have separated me. God, make me brand new. Help me be born again. And what he's doing is he's turning a fire on in your heart. He's igniting the spirit of God within you that's been dead because of sin. When you are saved, you have eternal spiritual life. That's restored, the first thing. The second thing that's restored is this. That salvation restores broken relationships. What do we find with, with the introduction of sin into the world? That sin separates people from God. Sin separates people from one another. And friends, when sin is forgiven, the barrier that separated God from man is gone and God's spirit takes up residency within us and the relationship with us and God is restored. Man can once again walk with God. Man can once again have a relationship with God where he's not hiding behind a tree, cowering in fear from God. In fact, the scriptures say this, as a child of God, you can come boldly before the throne of grace. Imagine that today. You as a redeemed person, as a person who's experienced salvation, can come boldly before God's throne of grace. Not because of how great you are, but because how great Jesus is. And when God looks at you and you come to Christ, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see you in a fallen state like he saw Adam and Eve before before restoration. He sees Jesus when he looks at you and you say, you know what, how can God ever love me? You have no idea, pastor, what I've done wrong. I say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if you come to Christ and you let him forgive you of your sins, guess what? God doesn't see you anyways. God looks at you and he sees Jesus and he sees someone who has got a, a relationship that's been restored. Man can once again walk with God in this in this relationship and come boldly before the throne of grace. But that restoration doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at just restoring the relationship between man and God. But the rest- restoration of relationships between man and man can be restored also. See, now as children of God, guess what we have? As children of God, we begin to be transformed back into the image of God. And a couple things begin to well up within us as children of God. And we begin to love and we begin to forgive as we've been loved and we've been forgiven. And guess what? You want to know what destroys relationships? Lack of love and a lack of forgiveness. But if you begin to love and you begin to forgive by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit of God within you, guess what? God will begin to mend our fraction human Relationships. You say, Pastor Mark, that person hurt me so deeply, I can never forgive them. And I say, You don't understand what restoration does through salvation because God will give you love and God will give you forgiveness and He'll begin to work it within you and make it well up within you and you can forgive anybody. Why? Because God was able to forgive you. So God restores fractured human relationships because of salvation. And there's another thing He restores, and I know we're going through these quick. But another thing that he restores in this, in this situation when we come to him for salvation, he restores the image of God in man. When someone receives salvation, a process begins. They get saved and the spirit, the spirit of God ignites in them and they have new spiritual life. But God at that instant also begins a process where we become transformed and formed into the image of Jesus. A process begins. God begins to change us if we cooperate with him. And it takes our input. If we cooperate, he transforms us so that his image can be seen more clearly and completely in us. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Kind of near the halfway point of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians. After the Gospels. Chapter 3. You don't have this one circled, friends. Write it down. Circle it. Big red letters. Big red ink. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, says this, verse 16 in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that's coming to him for salvation. It says a veil lies over their hearts. They can't see clearly. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the spirit, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, uh, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. You understand what that's saying? it's saying when you come to Christ there's a veil that's removed and now like looking in a mirror you see the reflection of God and as you stare into that reflection and you live with the Lord what happens is you become transformed into the image of Jesus that you see friends salvation begins a transformation process in you the image of God is being reestablished in you because of salvation isn't that amazing isn't that amazing That the self-image of God, I know I'm flooding your brain with a whole bunch of stuff today, but track with me this morning, because it'll change your life to understand what God did. Because people get saved so often, and they get saved and they get stuck. They just wallow in this conversion experience, and they never grow, and they never develop, and they never become something great for God. You know why? Because they didn't understand that when the day you came to Christ. It wasn't just your decision. God pulled you to himself, and he lit a fire in you of his spirit, and he began a work in you to make you into the image of Christ so that you can represent him in this world. He's got a great and incredible plan of blessing for the life of every single one of you. Amen? You want some more good news? You want some more good news? Here it is. Restoration doesn't stop there. The last state we're going to look at. The last part of the process we're going to look at is this. Friends, understand something. Complete restoration will be accomplished one day. You know when complete restoration will be accomplished? In heaven. In heaven. I see John's finger pointing up, complete restoration will be accomplished in heaven. You know what heaven? We don't know a whole lot about heaven. If people write books about heaven. I don't know how they do it. There's not that much in the Bible about heaven. There's glimpses in the heaven, but you know what? I do know about heaven. It's going to be something in somehow the reestablishment of that eden like existed existence that was that was there when God created the world before sin that somehow heaven is going to look like like eden i don't know if it's going to physically look like eden but it's going to be somewhat the same it will restore what existed in the original state it will restore friends the unhindered relationship that man has with god the bible says this about us as we're as as saved people today you know we can now um, come boldly before him to the throne of grace but you know what it does say about our relationship with him today it says we only see through a glass dimly right now But you know what it says heaven's going to be like? You're going to see him face to face. You know, I don't know exactly what this means, but it says that in heaven, there'll be no sun because God will be our light. Somehow we're going to be in a relationship with God in heaven of unhindered relationship that existed like Adam had in the cool, walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Somehow that unhindered relationship with God is going to be restored in eternity. You know what else will be restored in eternity? Eternal life will be restored completely. Eternal life will not only be restored spiritually because we have that at salvation, but will be restored physically. See, we will have resurrected bodies. You want to know something good about our resurrected bodies? They're not going to wear out or die. You know how we had to pray and and celebrate prayer today on, on little Luke, who God did a miracle in his life. You know what? You're not going to have to pray for miracles of healing in heaven because we're going to have perfected, physical, spiritual bodies. And the Bible says this. It says in heaven, he's going to reintroduce the tree of life. And guess what you get to do? When God kept us from the tree of life, so we didn't live in a fallen state, now we're going to be in a glorified state. and He's going to say, Mark, go to the tree of life. Eat from the tree of life. Live in that state of eternal life forever. Friends, in glory, in heaven, we have the reestablishment totally of eternal life. And the last thing we have is this. We have the reestablishment, the reestablishment of sinlessness friends no more sin no more personal struggle no more painful effects of sin in heaven you struggle with sin in your life you struggle with the effects of life of sin none of that in heaven and you know what in the very end it says satan will be judged and he will be eliminated friends it sounds pretty good to me that's what god has for every one of us church God's goal for all people is that they find restoration in Jesus, forgiveness of sin, and recovery of what sin destroyed, and the promise of eternity in heaven with the Lord. That's what God promises us. Satan thought he won, but Satan only put in process the plan that God had, that he says, from before the creation of the world. And he gives us a glimpse into, in Genesis chapter 3, in that the seed of of Eve would, would have his heel bruised and Satan would have his head crushed. God has a plan. Don't ever forget it. He's in control. Amen.